All right. Come on. Was that for me or the video? I don't know which it was, but you know, it's great. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast. Well, happy New Year to everybody. Uh, we're really glad that you guys are here. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our 13 locations. Uh, we're all throughout South Carolina and then in Asheville, North Carolina. We're glad you guys are with us as well. Or if you're online or if you're standing in the back of this room or watching in one of our uh, overflow rooms, uh, we're glad that you're with us as well. I want to welcome you, especially if you're new, uh, checking out Seacoast for the first time maybe this weekend. I know how uh, intimidating it can be to step into a new church for the first time, and so we're just glad that you're here. We're glad to have you as our guests. I wanted to start off with a couple of pieces of good news. Were any of you here for our Christmas Eve services? Anybody make, make it to those? Okay, yeah, a lot of us came. Man, I wanna just share a really cool highlight praise report. We asked you guys to come. We asked you guys to invite friends, to be a part, uh, hoping that God would use that service to change people's lives. And um, man, you guys came. Uh, you know, We're trying to make space right now for new people. We've got a building that's going up right on this location. Uh, right next door to us, but we haven't added any new seats uh, since the last Christmas, and we broke our Christmas attendance records by almost 3,000 people, or 27,400 people that came to a Seacoast Christmas Eve service. Every campus uh, had record attendance, and so that's cool and exciting, and we don't talk a lot about numbers a lot, because uh, we don't really wanna major on numbers, but the truth is every number represents a person, a name, and a story, and uh, many of those people that came are friends of mine uh, and people who are in our family, and so we just celebrate that. And then in the month of December, we told you guys that uh, we're finishing up, trying to, trying to raise the money for this building project, for this new building, and our, our initial goal was $12 million, and we were $400,000 short of that goal going into December, and so we shared that with the church and just asked you guys to, to pray about if God would have you be a part of, of doing that above your tithes and offerings, and it's been, um, you guys have, a lot of you have prayed and you've given, and. We've got numbers still coming in, but right now it's pretty clear to us that we didn't get the 400,000. Uh, we got closer to a million dollars that came in for the Imagine campaign. And so thank you guys so much. I share that because uh, you know, we're all blown away by that and it's interesting to me that we are surprised when God does stuff that's bigger and more than we could ask or imagine, even though we actually say that every single week at the end of our services that he can. But, but to say thank you to you guys for being invested and being a part of this. There's some things that we had to cut out of the project. You know, as if you've ever built a house, you know how that goes. You kind of have to scale things way back and we're now hopeful that we'll be able to do some things that uh, part of it was a playground that we're gonna do that we, we wanted to make that um, ADA accessible and we weren't sure if we're gonna be able to do that. Now we're gonna be able to do that for sure and so we're excited that we're able to do some things uh, that we weren't sure we were gonna be able to and so I thought we should pray right now just to thank God for what he's done and celebrate um, the, the miracle that he's provided in that way. And so would you guys pray with me as we get started? God, I thank you. Uh, we are blown away by what you're doing in this church, by the way that you're changing lives and by the way you're healing marriages and restoring uh, people to, to you. And uh, we just are so grateful. We don't take that for granted. We recognize that it's only because of you, Jesus. And, and we celebrate that. And we just thank you for the provision, Lord, for this building that you've provided uh, with just the generosity of this church. And so we just pray, God, and, and declare now that that building will be a house that, that makes your name famous, that glorifies you and nobody else. That's what it's about, God. And we just pray that you would do incredible things through that, through each of our campuses. And God, this year, 2019, we just dedicate it to you. We declare this is gonna be a year where you write amazing stories through your church. And we just are honored to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, hey, how many of you are excited about the new year? You guys excited to have a great year? Okay, 
Good, I, I hope you are. I know the older I get, I can get cynical a little bit in the new year because I've, I've set goals before and I haven't always hit them. And, and, but I just think there's no place for cynicism here in the church with God behind us and if he's authoring the story, man, I think he wants to do incredible things in your life and my life and our church's life. And so on J January 1st, I woke up and, and spent some time in prayer and wrote out some goals and really just praying, wanting God to do some new things in me, wanting to expand my leadership, want to be a better dad and husband to Lisa and uh, you know, pastor and just wanted some experiences that might help mature me and grow me as a leader. And it doesn't always happen this way, but God answered my prayer within just a couple of hours because we went over to some friend's house and, and through the power of suggestion, I found myself uh, in the middle of one of these experiences that would grow me as a leader. As we did the polar bear plunge. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this, but um, it was 70 degrees outside, but it was still the polar bear plunge. Um, that's your pastors. That's me and Jeff Reppard, marriage pastor. Josh Walters, our campus pastor here. Brian Crittenden, who works with our students. And Nate Davis, our worship leader. And so we just took the plunge. And, and unfortunately, there was one person who took a picture of me the moment I hit the water. <laughs> and that face right there is called regret. That's like, why did I do what I did? I'm gonna go ahead and skip that. We don't need to look at that very long. Thankfully, I have 359 more days to make better choices than I did on the first day. And so... But, but, but I, I, I believe we're in a series right now called Unwritten. We're kicking it off this weekend and, and we just believe that God wants to write a cool story this year. And we believe that he wants to write a cool story through each of our lives. And, uh, and I think all of us would agree, man, we would love to think that, that God would, would do something great or that our story would be better this year than it was last year. But I think it all comes down to a question and we're gonna kind of focus on this first question this first week of the series, which is who is the author of my story? Have you ever asked yourself that question or thought about that, who's the author of your story? You know, for a lot of us, you know, probably we would be inclined to say, well, I guess, I guess in some ways I am. I mean, I'm the one who writes out the goals and comes up with the resolutions and sets the course. And the problem with that, I've had kids, I know you got, many of you have had kids, and they all have gone through a phase, usually it's about two years old, where they wanna be the author of not only their story, but our whole family story. And, um, and, and they get acquainted with these words like, I do it myself, right? And I'll give them a gift and I'll have them open up a gift and it's like, can I help you with that? No, I do it myself, mine, I, do, I, I can do it, I can do it. And so you let them do it. And they work at it for a while, then they get frustrated and eventually they ask you for your help and then you step back in and help. And, and if you choose to be the author of your own story this year, chances are you'll end up in some of those places where you, you try to do things and you try to make things happen and you try, maybe try to force some things or control some things that are out of your control and eventually you'll get frustrated, you'll find yourself going, I, I need some help, I need, I need some help beyond myself. Others of us would say, maybe it's somebody else that writes your story, maybe you wouldn't say that, but there are people whose opinions of you, what they think about you, what they say about you, whether they, like there are people in our lives that sometimes if we'll allow them to, they ultimately control our story and, and what is written about us in that year because we, when we do that, when somebody else is, is authoring our story, essentially we end up giving them the power over us in our lives and some of us have probably been there. I wanna propose a third option, a better option, and you're not gonna be surprised to hear this on the first weekend of church, is that we let God author our story. That if we let God author our story, I believe that the best part of our story is still unwritten. You know, we finished that video that says the best part of your story is yet to be written. And I think that can be true and it's possible for all of us, but if it's going to be true in our lives, we're gonna have to let God 
be the author of the story. Uh, he actually is the author anyways. I mean, if you think back to Genesis 1, 1 uh, I know I started a new reading plan this year, and, and Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created, right? He began a story. He, he authored something, and, and he continues to do it today. I love this verse in Psalm 139. It says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. In other words, God has a plan for our lives. There's some divine appointments that are set before us in 2019. He's got some plans in store for us. Why wouldn't I want to align myself with what he's doing and kind of get on board with that? We know that the plans that he has for us are good. He, he wants to prosper. He wants us to do great things. It doesn't mean our life's always gonna end up greater. Every chapter of the story is gonna be great, but he, we know he has good things for us. Let's align ourselves under that. And so most of us would say, okay, I'm on board with that. How do I do it? How do I do it? I wanna share three thoughts, and we're gonna kind of follow along a story in the Bible. It'll be in Acts chapter nine if you wanna go ahead and open up to that. But the first thought is this. If God's gonna author my story, number one, I need to put down my pen. I need to put down my pen. I've got a pen here. It's a big pen. I'll admit that. It's a very large pen. I like to think it's because God has big plans for my life this year. But, but most of us, we start the year, and you may not be a resolution person, but we at least have some ideas of what we wanna see happen in our lives. And so we grab a pen and we start writing out, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna lose this weight, I'm gonna you know, save this amount of money, or I'm gonna break this habit. Whatever it might be, we grab the pen and we write it, and there's nothing wrong with having goals. But, but I think about this verse that James wrote, and I, I can't help but wonder if he wrote it around the time of a new year, just by the language of it. Listen, listen to it, he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit and lose weight. Doesn't, can you see kind of like the New Year's language in that? This is what I'm gonna do. This is where I'm gonna go. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, he says. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I don't think what James is saying is we shouldn't have goals or we shouldn't have dreams, shouldn't have vision for a life. But what he's saying is, hey, if God is the author of your story, your life is, is so short. It doesn't always feel short. Sometimes the days feel really long. But, but if God's authoring your story, you ought to say if the Lord wills. And there's this posture that says, God, I wanna surrender to you. I want my will, I want, I, want, I want what I do this year to be according to your will. I want my prayers to be according to your will. See, if, if God's gonna author our story, there, there needs to come a point in our lives where we, we put the pen down. And, and we're gonna look at the life of a guy named Saul today. And Saul is a guy in the Bible, there's two Sauls actually, one is the Old Testament, the first king of, of uh, Israel, but the second one is Saul, we also know him as Paul, and he's in, in the New Testament. And the reason we know him as Saul and Paul, by the way, I didn't share this with everybody else, but uh, I did a little research on this. I actually learned this this week. I always used to teach that he had a conversion experience and then he became Paul. He actually was a Roman citizen as well as a Jew. So his Jewish name was Saul. He was named after the first king of Israel, but his Greek name was Paul. And so we, we ended up knowing him more as Paul because when he wrote most of his letters, he was writing them to Gentiles. And so he was using his Gentile name to connect with them. So just interesting backstory there. But Saul, when we meet him, he's, he's not writing any letters to the church, that's for sure. He was a very driven guy. He was a type A personality, and he was on a mission. He was religious, 
uh, in nature, and he was very well-intentioned, but very misguided. And his mission was to put an end to this church that had started because of this guy named Jesus. See, as a, a Jewish man, he, he did not, he wasn't, was not on board with what Jesus had done, and, and, and it was starting to cause some problems for him and his people. And so in Acts chapter seven, a guy named Stephen, who was an early leader in the church, was martyred, and the Bible says that Paul kind of oversaw that. And then we pick up his story in Acts chapter nine, verse one and two. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he had found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So he's trying to find anybody who's following Christ and put them in chains and put them in jail or kill them. Now let me ask you a question. At this point in the story, is Saul a villain or a hero in this story? What would you say? Villain, most of us would say a villain. Well, it depends on who the author of the story is, right? Because if Saul's writing the story, he's a hero. He's doing the right thing. He's trying, to, he's trying to protect his faith and he's trying to put an end to what's going on. And for people who saw the world in the same way that Saul did, he was a leader. He was going after it. He was a good guy. But if you're part of the church that he's persecuting, he's a villain, right? I mean, I imagine that if Saul showed up at Seacoast Church today, he would have an encounter with our safety and security team and it wouldn't go well for Saul because he, would not, he didn't come with good intentions. And so for most of the people that would be a part of the church, they'd go, he's a villain in this story. But what if God's the author? If God's the author, what he sees in this guy is potential. He sees a part of his story that isn't written yet, that nobody else can see. And he sees a guy with a lot of potential to lead to do great things in the church, and to be a voice for him. None of us would have picked that out looking at Saul at this point in his journey, but that's what God saw. All he needed to do was get the pen out of his hands, and that's what he does. If you, if you look at the story as it continues, verse three, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. When this road trip started, Saul was the one calling the shots, right? Saul was the one, he knew where he was going. He was going to persecute Christians. And, and now we find him literally knocked on his behind, and God is calling the shots in his life. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go, go on to Damascus, but you're not gonna do what you thought you were gonna do. You're gonna wait until I tell you what to do. That had to be frustrating for a leader. You imagine a guy like that, like, now go and wait. Well, what am I gonna do while I'm waiting? Just wait, just wait. Can you see how the pen shifted hands? The pen went from, from Saul's hand into God's hand, and God became the author of his story, and he began to write a new story in Saul's life, and we'll talk about that in the next couple of minutes. But see, the moment for Saul happened on the Damascus Road where, where he gave the pen to Jesus, a new story begins to be authored. What's cool about letting God be the author of our story is that not only is he the author, he also has editorial power. Th think about that for a minute. He can edit our stories however he wants to. And so I, I, some of you guys may have been high school athletes. I don't know if you've ever put together a highlight reel 
that you're hoping to give to colleges so they may look at you and have you come play for them or some of you are college athletes and you've had highlight reels put together for professional sports. I actually played several sports in high school and I have a basketball highlight reel that was put together for me. No coach ever saw it, uh, but my mom did and she liked it. <laughs> but if, if you ever saw my highlight reel, what you would think is that I never missed a shot. I mean, I made every basket that's on that reel. I never had a turnover. I never made a bad pass. Everything I did was amazing. It's, it's really remarkable. Uh, some of your Instagram feeds look like that. Uh, I know it's not true, but, um, but here's what's awesome about, about the gospel, about letting God author our story, is that, that he chooses to edit out our sin, our shame, those moments in our life that we're not proud of. When we give our life to Jesus, and we, we surrender our life to him, God doesn't look at us and see our sin anymore. In fact, the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, that he doesn't even remember it anymore. He just sees the highlight reel. That's pretty amazing to think about. Like when you wake up in the morning, if you're the author, you see all the baggage and all the stuff, but God, God doesn't even look at that in you anymore. He sees you through the lens of Jesus, and he sees the potential to, to make a big impact in his kingdom. Why wouldn't we want God to have the, the pen in our lives? Why wouldn't we want him to be the author of our story? So how do we do that? How do we position ourselves to, 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 to drop the pen, to give it to him? It kind of depends on how tightly you're holding onto the pen, right? You know, some of us are, you know, we've got that thing and we know what we're doing with our life and, and we're trying to make things happen and, and that's kind of where, where Saul was and there was a bit of a wrestling match and he ended up on the floor. You know, but, but a lot of us, as the new year turns over, it's just a good time to go, you know what? I'm gonna put the pen down. Maybe I've put the pen down in the past, but if you're like me, you pick it up every now and again, try to control some things again, or you, you kinda wanna, wanna, wanna get your hands back on it. But a new year is a great opportunity to say, you know what, God, I give you the pen again. I want you to write my story this year. That's why we start off every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're in the middle of that right now as a church. I know many of you uh, weren't here at first Wednesday, but we started the prayer and fasting season on Thursday of this week, and so if you missed that, the good news is you only have 17 days of prayer and fasting to do. But I would encourage you to get on board with it, to get on board with it. Why do we pray and fast? Why do we do that? There's an interesting story in Matthew 17, I didn't put it on your outline sheet, but you can go look it up, uh, where a guy comes to Jesus and he's got a real problem. Uh, his son is having major problems, he's having seizures, uh, he's, he's, he's got all kinds of issues. And, and the dad had taken his son to some of Jesus' disciples and asked them to pray to help heal him, and nothing happened. And so then they come to Jesus and he says, hey, your disciples couldn't heal him. Is there anything that you can do? And Jesus, in this loving, I imagine, blonde hair, blue eye way, which is actually not what he looked like, but, he, but he, looks at, he looks at this guy and he looks at the disciples in this point of great need, and he says, you faithless and perverse generation. It's like, Jesus, couldn't you have softened that a little bit? It's a new year, you know? Couldn't you be a little more seeker sensitive with your, your comments? No, he says, you faithless and perverse generation. What does that mean? Faithless means I'm not connected enough to God, right? It, the more connected I am to God, the more faith I have to believe that he's gonna do things in my life, and so when I'm faithless, it means that, that I'm not connected enough with God, and perverse essentially means I'm too connected to the world. I'm too connected to, I've become too comfortable with some things that the world thinks is okay, but God says isn't, or I'm too connected and too comfortable here in the world. And so in verse 21, Jesus gives a solution. He says, hey, some, some of this stuff can only be 
healed can only be solved through prayer and fasting. He doesn't just lay out the problem. He says, hey, by the way, prayer, which connects you to God more, and fasting, which disconnects you from the world, is gonna be the pathway to kind of see and break through in this area of your life. And of course, Jesus heals this young boy. But, but, but my point is this. All of us probably would like to be a little bit more connected to God. I know for me, I have to refresh that every now and then. I have to kind of like start with a refresh and this is a great opportunity to go, God, I'm gonna refresh that connection. I'm gonna refresh my prayer life. And so every Monday through Thursday morning at 6 a.m., we're opening up the chapel and we're coming together and we're praying. Uh, and it's been great already. We've done a couple of days of prayer already and it's awesome. You, you will feel more connected with God. You will not wanna wake up. You will not wanna get out of your bed. But if you do, I promise you, you won't regret it. You're gonna connect with God more. And then the fast is basically saying, hey, are there any things in my life that I'm a little too connected to this year? And you don't have to overthink that. It doesn't have to be some you know, formula. Everybody's doing different things. For me, I'm, I'm doing a Daniel fast, and so I'm, uh, I've been a little too connected to food through the month of December. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I've had a little too much. And so I'm doing fruits and vegetables and nuts and kind of a, uh, a Daniel fast. And then I felt like God told me to fast media for 21 days. And so I... When I'm, I opened up my phone, I deleted all of my social media accounts, and I, I didn't delete the accounts, but I deleted the apps off my phone, and I, any games that I had on my phone, I just deleted all, anything that would be a time waster for me. It's like, I'm gonna use that time that I would normally spend there, and I'm just gonna try to connect in and pray and spend more time with God. I'm, we're not watching TV in the house for 21 days, uh, with the exception of the game tomorrow night, Clemson, which God is gonna be watching, obviously, and so I'm gonna watch with him. <clears throat> so he and I are gonna connect over a Clemson game, tomorrow night, but otherwise, we're, we're kind of laying that down. And so, my question would be, is there anything that maybe you feel like you're a little too connected to that, that may be a distraction, and, and maybe you put that down for the next couple of weeks and join us in this journey. The point is to say, God, my posture going into this year is surrender, I'm laying the pen down, and I want you to write my story. Those are just some tools that help us to get there. First thought, I have to be willing to put my pen down. Second thought for us, is if I'm gonna have God author my story, I need to embrace the other characters in the story. I need to embrace the other characters. See, once you give the pen to God, you become part of a story that's no longer just about you. The Bible says that God has determined the, the time and the place that you would live, which means for me the, the job that you have is, is not by accident. The people that he's put in your family is not by accident, even though some of you wish that you could get a different family, but it's not by accident. You know, the kids that you have and the, the, the friends that you have, and, and we gotta pay attention to the other characters because the life that God has, the, the story that he's writing through our lives right now is one that's gonna involve other people. It's one that's gonna be enriched and it's gonna be strengthened by other people in our lives, and we see this in Saul's story. So remember, we left Saul, he's basically been knocked to his to his butt, and, and I didn't show you the verse, but if you keep reading, you'll see he was blinded, uh, so he couldn't see anymore, and he had to, he had to go to Damascus and wait for, for God to tell him what to do next. Well, at the same time that all that's going on, it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. So that's God's plan. Problem is, Ananias has heard of Saul. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, 
how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he, is, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is like, hey, if I'm authoring this story, this is not the guy I would use. God, are you sure you have this right? And isn't that how it plays out in our lives? Like we wanna give God the pen, but then sure enough, he's gonna take us into a circumstance or situation that we don't fully understand why he's doing what he's doing or why he would put us in that place. And that's where Ananias is. He's like, God, I don't know if you, I don't know if you got this right, but God tells him, this Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I think he threw this next sentence in just for Ananias to make him feel better. He said, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Ananias is like, okay, well, if he's gonna suffer, I'll go, because he's caused a lot of problem to us. Whatever it takes, right? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Notice it was just a man named Saul. Now it's Brother Saul. There's a relationship already beginning to, to form here. He says, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Here's what I want you to notice about this story. In relationship, in, in relationship, Saul found vision, he was strengthened, he was healed from what he was going through. God could have done all of that on the road to Damascus. God saved him in Damascus, on, on that road. He, 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 he didn't need any help with that, right? And he could easily have done all of those things, but he chose to use another person in the story to make that happen. And that's just how he works. As several times throughout scripture we see, the Bible talks about how if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. That we find healing and we find freedom in relationship. And for some of us, that's been the missing ingredient for you to really step into and to live out your story in the way that God has for you and all of the fullness that he has for you. is being willing to step in to a group of brothers or sisters or couples to say, hey, I want you to be a part of my story. I don't believe God's put us here by accident. I'm gonna take a bold step. I'm gonna get involved in your story. I, I, I love it. The first thing that God wanted for, for Saul after he gave him the pen was to connect with another believer. There's power in community. His life was changed in a moment on the road to Damascus, but his healing, his vision, his strength, that came through community with another believer. And I think that he wants that for us too. There's so many stories of that here at Seacoast. So many of us that have found strength, that have found vision, that have found healing in community through small groups. And at Seacoast, we have groups of people that meet every day of the week and homes, some of them meet here at the church, where they just gather together to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, and to grow in our relationship with Christ. And man, I can't tell you how many times in my own marriage, in my own life, where we've gotten into trouble, or we've, we've hit a bump in the road, and, and it's taken some other people to help us look above our circumstances to see that God wasn't done writing the story, and that there, were, there was a future for us. Uh, even sometimes it's big life things, even just a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to preach uh, Christmas Eve, which was the first time I've done Christmas Eve services. By the way, Dad will be doing 
more Christmas Eve services. I think because we were doing seven this year, he said, I'm not doing that, that's all you. Uh, in that new building, I'll bet he'll be back for Christmas. But, um, but I was doing my first Christmas Eve services and I was excited about the opportunity, but there was also some pressure that goes with that. And I'll, there was this moment, I went to our small group, we had a little Christmas party, and I don't know why they did it. Maybe Lisa had texted them and said, hey, Josh has got some PMS, can you help? That's pre-message syndrome. It's something we go through as preachers. But they, they gathered around me and they just prayed over me. Guys like my brother Jason and Jenna and Jesse and Sarah, Josh Walters, just some friends that just prayed over me and just prayed that God would you know, use me. And it was something shifted in that moment where it went from like pressure to excitement and, and I can do this. And so I just tell you that because that's my, my recent experience, but we all have those. We all have pressure that we deal with. We all have stuff that we face in life and it's so much easier to overcome that stuff and find the strength and the vision when we can kind of have, have some friends that will carry those burdens with us and help us share those burdens. And so the relationship that would change Saul's story was right around the corner from him. He just had to keep going and get to Damascus. And for you, the relationship that could change your destiny might be right around the corner. It's Connect Weekend at Seacoast. We do this every first of the year and first of a semester because we wanna provide any opportunity that we can for you to make a connection. What if this was your year? So you know what, I'm gonna make a connection into a small group. You can do a number of things. Uh, there's breezeway stuff going on. Campus pastor will tell you about that. You can text 320-320, the word connect, to 320-320, and we'll help you get into a small group. Now here's the deal. A lot of you do this when we ask you to do it in times past, and you connect, you text that number, then we reply to you, and then you ghost us. That's what happens. You just go silent, all went quiet, we can't hear from you again. Go ahead and follow through with that process. We're gonna send you a link and you, you, you click on that link and, and if you'll give us some information, we will help you find a group that's right for you. Make this the year that you connect. If Saul, I mean the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible, most of the books of the New Testament, if he needed another person in order to take his next step in his spiritual growth, what makes us think that we don't? Well, we're no better than him, we, we gotta take, it, take that next step. So give God the pen, pay attention to the characters around you. Last thing is if I'm gonna have God author my story, I need to stay present in my current chapter. I need to stay present in my current chapter. See, this is where it gets difficult at times because if you're like me, we have a couple of temptations. Some of us are, are tempted to continue to live out of a previous chapter that's actually already over, but we find ourselves continuing to go back to a place in our past. Maybe it was a hurt something that happened to us, and we find ourselves continuing to go back and live out of that place. Many of us are tempted to do that. It could be a relationship. And the reality is, the season is over. God has moved on. Others have moved on. It's time for us to move on. We can't live in a previous chapter. Even spiritually, we'll do that sometimes. Man, I remember a time where God did something cool in my life, and, and we find ourselves just wanting to go back and repeat that experience, and God's not interested in repeating that experience. He has a new experience for you. He has new places that he wants to take you. We can't live in our past, but then some of us are tempted to rush through the current chapter. Maybe like me, you enjoyed Cliff Notes in high school. Come on, anybody willing to admit that? A little help uh, getting through some of those term papers. And, and while that's wonderful, or maybe it's not, I don't know, as a pastor, should I tell you that's wonderful? It helped me, it might be cheating, so just check with your teacher. <laughs> it can help you get through a term paper, but it's, it's not, you, you can't live your life that way. You know, we can't just skim through the chapters and, and ignore what God is doing in this chapter. 
Some of us find ourselves today in a chapter that we would like to be over, but it's not yet. And so if we find ourselves rushing to the next chapter, we're gonna miss what God wants to do in this chapter. It could be a season of life sort of a thing. Maybe you're a student and you just can't wait to get out of school to the next thing. So you're kind of rushing through or you're single and you can't wait to this next season where you're gonna be married and so maybe you're tempted to just kind of force it and rush through and miss out on what God wants to do during this season for you. Nobody knew what it was like to be in difficult chapters more than the guy we've been talking about today, Paul. If you study his life, you'll find that he spent a lot of time in jail because of his faith. He spent a lot of time persecuted, beaten, flogged within inches of his life. Yet so often in those chapters, we see that he found purpose in those chapters. Many of the letters that he wrote us, he would tell you he wrote them from chapters that he would have liked to have not gone through. He, he told us things like, do all things without complaining or grumbling from a prison cell. He was able to kind of go, God, what, how, how do you wanna use me during this season? We take a group to Israel every couple of years. We're actually doing another trip this coming fall, and I'd love for you to consider joining us on that trip. It's an amazing trip, and God just has done incredible things uh, in our church because of these experiences. But one of them that really stands out to me is we, we go to a town called Caesarea, and Caesarea is on the coast of Israel. It's beautiful, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And what I didn't really realize until we were there is that Paul actually spent two and a half years on house arrest in Caesarea. By the way, that is the amphitheater uh, in Caesarea, and uh, the new worship center is designed uh, after that amphitheater. And so, copying the Romans. We've been doing that for a long time, but it's a super cool deal. But, but Paul was on house arrest in, in Caesarea, and here's what we know. He didn't write any of the letters of the Bible from Caesarea. So, so we assume he wasn't able to write while he was there. We don't know of any message that he preached. For two and a half years, he was stuck in this town doing nothing in, in terms of ministry, at least from what we can tell. How frustrating would that be for a type A leader who has vision for his life? Well, if you look and read some of the early Jewish authors, what you'll find out is that he actually didn't waste that season. He spent that season connecting with some other believers who were in that town. One of them, by the way, is a guy named Luke, who was a doctor, who would go on to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which actually is the most, he, he wrote most of the New Testament, Luke did. Paul wrote more letters, but the content, he wrote the most words of the New Testament, this guy named Luke. And what we find out when you read the early uh, Jewish authors is that Luke's primary source was a guy named Paul who was stuck in house arrest. And so he couldn't write, he couldn't preach, but he could connect with another, another believer and tell him the story of what God had done. And it's a story that we read today out of Acts chapter nine. Luke wrote that because Saul didn't rush through, Paul didn't rush through that season. So are you in a season today that's difficult? Maybe you, you hope would end soon. I just wanna encourage you that if you'll stay present in this season, going, God, I'm surrendered to you. I've given you my pen. I, I'm allowing you to be the author of my life. I'm gonna do it in community. And God, I'm committed. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rush through this season, but I can guarantee you that nothing will be wasted in your life. No pain that you go through, no circumstance that you go through will be wasted because the author works all things together for the good of those who love him. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. 
I thank you so much for the story that you are writing and the fact that you have invited us each to be a part of a story that is so much greater than ourselves. And so God, I pray today for those of us who maybe just need to give you the pen. And I just pray, Lord, as we respond to you, that by the power of your spirit, that you would draw us to yourself and we'd be willing to open up our hands, let go of the pen, surrender our lives to you. We surrender our year to you. 2019, God, we pray that you would write an amazing story. We give you our lives. Pray that you would help us to connect with others and God, that you would use whatever chapter that we're in, whether it's one we're loving or one that we hope will end soon, I pray that you would use it for your glory and for our good. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.